You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Who needs a fill-in-the-blank sheet? Anybody? Okay. We get some fill-in-the-blank sheets over, and they're coming. Are they being copied? Is that what you said? We ran out, which is a good thing, so we're going to get you some, okay? All right. Anybody else, though? I know this section, we need one. Okie doke. Right back there. You keep that hand raised over there. We'll get you one. Awesome. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I love that song, Living for Jesus. It's, a, it's like a devotional song. It's really, in, it, it's, when you listen to the words and you sing them and you mean them, it's a, it's a consecrating song. It's a holy song, and I enjoyed that a lot. <clears throat> Thanks for coming out today with our crazy Southern California weather. I came out, I, I woke up, went to bed last night after we, uh, I got a, my wife put me a telescope a while back so I could spy on our neighbors, but um, we had, um, no I'm kidding, but uh, uh, so we could look at the moon and different things and we heard last night you could see five planets and I didn't know there was that many. So we was like, we're going to get out there and, I'm just kidding, and uh, we're going to look out and see and we could see several planets and it was really cool, and so clear sky, perfectly clear, then it's raining this morning, then it's nice and sunny, it's supposed to rain again tonight, it's, it's crazy, I don't know what's going on around here. We had a tornado a week or two ago, you guys hear about that in Montebello or something? I think it's, it's, the, it's the apocalypse, it's the end of the world, okay. How many of you, when a storm front moves in, you get headaches or like body aches, anybody? Oh, it's just me, I'm the freak, okay, all right, let's get into our Bibles tonight. I get bad headaches when storms come in, anyway. I'm going to start talking about the Bible now. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and uh, I have loved our start to this new format. Got to pray with some of the men a little bit ago. I know the ladies seem to have a great time. I think they're like wanting more time and more time over there, which is a good thing. And I know you in here, you got to pray as well, and uh, I'm sure that you don't mind having a shorter message every once in a while, but uh, it's harder for me to cut it down, but we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 through 20 tonight, as, remember our study on Ecclesiastes, the uh, theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is the emptiness of life without God, the emptiness of life without God, if you don't have God, life is empty, if you don't know Jesus, no matter how full you think your life is, it's really empty, and we see that played out so many times in so many ways. And tonight we're looking at, uh, uh, if we're going back to chapter 1 and kind of just giving a quick synopsis, in the beginning he gives, Solomon gives a thesis statement. He says, this is, uh, uh, this is what I believe, is that as I've looked over the earth, man, it's all vanity, uh, uh, you know, it's not worth it, uh, you know, there's no meaning outside of living for God, there, there's nothing that I see is worth living for, it's all vanity. So he went on some experiments, he said, well, I'm going to try this to see if I can find meaning in, in wealth, in knowledge, in pleasure, uh, in treasure, in all these different things, and, and he just cannot seem to find the meaning of, uh, the purpose of life, what gives him fulfillment, and uh, so he's come to a couple conclusions where he has said, all that there is for man is to just enjoy the life that God gave him. And he's not just saying, eat, drink, and be merry, be drunk, and all. He's, he's saying, no, you're not going to find the joy and fulfillment you're looking for outside of God. 
And so that's the, really the message here. So he has looked, and he's looking around to see where he can find purpose. He's looked in the street. He's looked in the palace. He's looked in the courtroom. Last week he looked in the temple. And uh, tonight he's going to look at City Hall and see what does he see there. And in these next few chapters, Solomon speaks about many different things. In the verses we're looking at tonight, if you want to fill this in, the first blank there, the topic is money. Money or goods. And so tonight we're looking at money matters. Money matters. From the wisest man on earth, he's going to give us some wisdom when it comes to money. Let's pray together. Father, bless these next few moments, we pray for your help. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Chapter 5, verse number 8. If thou seest the oppression of the poor. Now, if you're going to talk about life under the sun, which again is an earthly view like Solomon is, you're going to talk about money. Because life in some way is going to include money. Unless you are a person of the street in which still you would need some type of money. That's what you're going to address. So money is something we're going to talk about. Now, as I read this verse, I want you to write this in as we're reading it so you'll see it. Verses 8 and 9 deal with the poor. The poor. Verse 8 says this. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. I looked up, you know, I consulted a bunch of different commentaries, 15 or so, about these verses of different things, and every one of them says, this is hard to understand. Well, I'll tell you how I understand it. First of all, we see here in verse 8, it's talking about the oppression of the poor in a particular place. You know, if you look at our country, look at any country, the poor are often... Uh, treated differently. They have fewer options. The poor are often victims of persecution. The poor are often victims of corruption by government and governmental leaders. The poor are taken advantage of. And that was not just two, you know, 3,000 years ago here. That's still today too. People that are poor are often taken advantage of. And verse 8, it kind of interesting, in the middle Solomon says, marvel not at that. Don't be surprised that this happens. Don't be surprised that there's corruption in governments. Don't be surprised that people that are given power get corrupted by that power. Don't be surprised that people that are given a lot, they, they want more even though others have less. So don't be surprised by that. Then he says this, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth. Now I know our temptation may be to think, well that's God, he's higher than the highest. And I believe that as an application, but the interpretation, when it's using the word higher there, it's talking about a ruler on earth. And what it's basically saying is bureaucracy. Here's a guy, you know, and he's in charge of you, but there's a guy higher than him. And there's a guy higher than him. And then it says, because at the end, and there be higher than they. There's someone higher. They answer to the king. And yes, absolutely, we see that God is above it all. But, he, but, but the, the interpretation that he's talking about is, hey, look, when you're looking at things on earth and, and you're looking at people in leadership roles and, and corrupt government officials, we would call it red tape, right? Now, you've got to cut through all the red tape because if you want to do anything, trust me, trying to build anything onto the church, like, you know, you've got to go to this person, he's got to go to this person, he's got to go to this person. We tried to get a T-Mobile tower in our, in our building a couple years ago. In our, in our tower here, they're going to pay us $3,000 a month. Just to, just to put a, a, a tower for T-Mobile, which I have T-Mobile, so I'm like, bonus, win-win, be glad to have that, 
$3,000 where the Oscar was helping us out, had all these different people. I tell you what, the red tape of bureaucracy went through this and this and this until finally it ended up on the desk of somebody in our city who said, you know what, I like the way your building looks as it is, so we're not going to pass it. Because that one guy liked the mid-century architecture, even though they were going to rebuild it the same way or better, he's like, no, you can't do it. Talking about red tape, you want to go to the one above him, you know, and you're like, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, even in these governments, there's people that answer to people. And then verse 9, it says here, uh, and moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. So we have to understand in, in the previous verse, God does see the injustice. God does see that and, and that, and and God sees the injustice in our country too. And God's going to judge that. God's going to answer that. But Solomon, and by the way, Solomon, he's not advocating insurrection. He's not saying the government's corrupt. Overthrow, grab your pitchforks and your, you know, and your lanterns or whatever. He's not saying that. Government is still good. It's better to have government than not. You know, can you imagine our country if there were no police officers? We need to take away the police. That's dumb. Try to li- look at their experiments they tried a couple years ago. Didn't go so well. Who wanted to move to Oregon over the past few years? Anybody? No, because it wasn't, government was ordained by God. There, there's a reason for it. Doesn't mean, they're all, doesn't mean they're all right. Doesn't mean they're all doing right. And it doesn't mean that some of them are not corrupt. But there is certainly a place for it. But verse 9 is talking about the prophet of the earth. And it says there, the profit of the earth is for all. Profit is, is produce. So in other words, what the earth is yielding is for everybody. The apples, the, the, uh, you know, if you like things such as cabbage or whatever, the vegetables and fruits, it's for everybody. And it says here in verse 9, the king himself does serve by the field. So even for the king. The idea is that God sees and punishes those who rob the poor of their fair share. God sees that, and he will punish those. And, if a, and by the way, if a king oppresses the people that are tilling the land for him, he's hurting himself too. So we see the poor being dealt with, but secondly, verses 10 through 20, deal with the wealthy. So write that in. They deal with the wealthy. And now Solomon is going to give us wisdom when it comes to financial matters. I... Have, I read a book a long time ago that these points were in. I don't normally preach points from other books, but I was going through and I was outlining it, and I, was, and I got the same thing verbatim that I found in this book. So I was like, well, I'll just use it, the same thing that I was saying anyway. Money matters from the wisest man on earth. I want you to see these here, and let's look at verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is vanity. It's emptiness. It's futile. It's meaningless. Again, he that loveth silver, okay? We can put it in our terminology. He that loveth Benjamins, he that loveth gold, uh, shall not be satisfied with that, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. If you'll write this in, the more you have, the less you're satisfied. What is the wisest, richest man in history telling you about money. Here's what he says. The more you have, the less satisfied you are. Well, you know, I just need to prove that myself. Why? You're going to live an unsatisfied life. 
Now, we may think the opposite is true. If I had more, I'd be happy. But the truth is, the more you get, the less satisfied you are with what you have. You ever get something new, and then a week later, you see your kids do this all the time. You buy them a new toy, and for one week, it's like, man, this is the greatest toy ever. And then you're like, where's that toy? Oh, it's behind the dresser somewhere. We'll find it in a year. You know, the more you get, the less those things are meaningful. If you just got everything you wanted whenever you wanted it, it wouldn't mean anything. And so we think, though, if I could just get everything I want, then I'd be happy. And Solomon says, tried it. Doesn't work. The more you get, the less satisfied you are. I'm going to use John D. Rockefeller for a couple quotes here tonight. Because for a while there, he was the world's richest man. He was the first billionaire. He made a million dollars per week. And this was like, what, in the 20s or something? So, I mean, I think they have said, uh, based upon what we know in modern days and everything, he would have been the richest man to ever live. Now, I don't think they're including Solomon in that. But, but uh, just knowing that he had that much money. And, he's, and he was asked this, how much money does it take to make a man happy? The richest man on earth said, just one more dollar. Then he gets that dollar, then just one more dollar. What was he saying? He was saying, there's not enough. There's not enough. But if I just get that raise, then I'll be happy. No. It may like make life easier, easier, but if you're banking your happiness on that, you're going to be disappointed. Look at verse number 11. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof saving the beholding of them with their eyes. What does this mean? The more you have, the more people will come after it. The more you have, the more people will come after it. Anybody done their taxes this year? The more you make, the more the government says, <laughs> let me get my hands on that. Of course, unless you're just doing things under the table secretly or whatever, but don't tell me about that. But the more you make, the more the government's after it. The, the, look at these people that won the lottery. These people win the lottery, and then all of a sudden, Uncle Cletus from Kentucky, you know, that they've never heard of, is like, hey, remember, I'm like your second, third, fourth, fifth cousin, four times removed. Yeah, you know, and, and now they're coming after you. Can you give me a look? The more you have, the more people are seeking to take it. He also says here, the more you have, the more you realize it does you no good. He says, you just, in verse 11 at the end there, and uh, what good is it? It's saving to behold them with their eyes. Like, in other words, there's a certain amount of money you can have where all you're doing is just looking at it. Well, I have this much money, but what good is it doing you? Henry Ford, of course, who made Fords, said, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. Life was just simpler. Riches do not bring happiness, and the more you have, the more people come after it. John Rockefeller, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. These are people that have gotten to where our world would say they have arrived, and they're saying, I don't want this, because it's not what I thought I wanted. The more you have, the less you're satisfied. The more you have, the more people will come after it. Look at verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. You ever go home from a long day's work and just fall into bed and it's just, it's just a wonderful feeling? Whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. 
the abundance. You have all this stuff, it will not allow you to sleep. So what is this talking about? Number three, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. I got all this, I've got to take care of all these things. Look, it's hard enough to keep one house clean with four kids. It's hard enough to keep one van clean with four kids. On any given day, there's a gummy bear on the floor, there's a french fry by my seat, there's, you know, uh, uh, whatever Kelly's eating all over her chair, Cheez-Its, you know, if you ever want a snack, like you're hungry, I can give you a meal sometimes. What I'm saying, and we clean our van, all right? But what I'm saying is it's hard enough to keep one car clean. It's hard enough to handle one house. It's hard enough to handle one job. And yet, just think, what if you had three houses? Well, I would hire maids and servants. Well, who's going to manage them? Well, I'd hire someone to manage them. Well, who's going to manage the managers? Well, you know, I would do... And the more it goes, now I've got all these cars. That's 10 cars that need oil changes. And they'll all need it at the same time. That's 10 cars that'll break down all at the same time because that's how life works. What I'm saying is the more you have, now the more you have to worry about. I read a story about a man who was going on a vacation with his friend. He was, he was a rich man, the other guy was not. And he was going and he was trying to do some fishing and relax. And his friend looked at the millionaire and said, you look sad. And the guy said, well, man, I thought I'd have a weekend to myself. Now I have to fly to Florida to supervise repairs on my houses. And he was going to go get on his private jet, miserable, because he had to go care for all the things of the earth. And like, we look at that and say, what? We'd be so happy. But not for long. Not for long. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. Look at verse 13. What's another principle? There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun. Namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. He said, this is evil. Seeing, seeing people that, that keep these riches and it's hurting them. So what's another principle here? Number four, the more you have, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. So maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, well, I don't have anything and I've been wanting everything. Maybe you ought to walk out thinking, hey, this is great. I'm broke. Wonderful. I don't know. The more you have, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. So many times people get a little bit of money and they become Ebenezer Scrooge. And now they're, they're a miser, and now they're saying, no, you can't have this. And, and really, it's, it's, it's hurting them. What was so amazing about the people in the Bible of Macedonia that Paul wrote to in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is that, uh, that others considered them too poor to give. And they were begging Paul, let us give. They, they were saying, let us give. And, and, and people were like, no, they don't have any money. They have nothing. And they were saying, no, let us give. And uh, Paul talked about their liberality. John Rockefeller, world's only billionaire at the time. Million dollars every week he made. He was 53 years of age, richest man in the world. Had everything he wanted, could have any food he wanted, all of that. And he lived on crackers and milk. Because his health was so bad. He couldn't sleep because he was worried about his finances and worried about his business all the time. So he wasn't sleeping and he was sick all the time, so he was eating crackers and milk until, you can look it up, until he started giving things away. When he started giving away money, his health improved, his sleep improved, and he lived until 93. No, 90, 93. 
The more you have, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. Verse 14, but those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, there's nothing in his hand. So he, he, here's a guy saving up all his money, and then something happens, and he's got nothing to show for it. Number five, the more you have, the more you have to lose. I'm not advocating this movie because I haven't seen it in 20 years. It was a Rocky movie based on my life. And no, but the, one of the Rocky movies, he's poor, I guess, at the end of the movie. And I haven't seen all the new ones or anything. I'm, this is one of the old school ones when I was a kid. One of my favorite scenes I remember as a kid just laughing at was this guy was mocking him and he said, touch me and I'll sue. Anybody remember this? Wicked, I knew it. I knew it. No, I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, he's like, touch me and I'll sue. And Rocky punches him in the face because that's what Rocky does. <laughs> he gets punched and he punches. And he says, sue me for what? I just love that. Some of you haven't seen it and it probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you, but it's, it's a great part of the movie there. What he was saying is, what are you going to sue me for? I got nothing anyway. I have nothing to lose. You know, and uh, the problem with so many people, why, why, don't, why don't they serve God more? Why don't they surrender to go to the mission field when God pricks their heart? Why don't they give their life to serve someone? Why don't they, to serve somewhere? Why don't they help people in need because they've got so much to lose? Well, if I did that, I wouldn't have this. And I wouldn't. No, we, we have, <laughs> I don't have, if you have the feeling, I don't have much in this world. There's nothing wrong with that. That just means you don't have a lot to lose if things go south. And Solomon says, hey, the more you have, the more you had to lose. The more you have, the more hurting you can do to yourself. If you hold on to it like Scrooge McDuck, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. The more you have, the more people will come after it. And this is a man that knew what he was talking about. The more you have, the less you are satisfied. But then verse 15, the last one here. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also was a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? The more you have, the more you'll leave behind. You can't take it with you. In 1932, Howard Carter discovered King Tut's tomb, which would be so cool to see. He was, King Tut was buried with solid gold chariots and other artifacts, probably some wives and cats and who else, you know, all the crazy stuff they buried people with. His coffin was buried in a solid gold tomb, which was then buried in another solid gold tomb. So that discovery was pretty big. But even though he was buried in gold, surrounded in gold, which was surrounded again with gold, and all of the gold and all the money that he had, how much of that did he take with him when he went to hell? He took none of it. How much could he pay to get out of hell if he didn't know Christ as Savior, which we're not assuming that he did? Yeah, there's no price. Nothing that he had made it to the afterlife with him. That's why Jesus told us to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt 
Write this in if you would. You can't take any goods with you, but you can send them on ahead. You can send treasures on ahead to heaven. Take your Bible, go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Hold your place here. We're going to come right back and end in just a moment. But 1 Timothy chapter number 6. First Timothy chapter 6. Boy, I'm going to have to adjust to preaching less time. This is difficult for me. I feel like I have a lot to say in these messages, but I'll get there. First Timothy chapter number 6. Once you look at verse 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to gain? The word gain is wealth. I want to be wealthy. God says godliness and contentment is great wealth. That's how you get it. For we brought, and that is the wealth. For we brought nothing into this world. No one was born wearing a golden chain around their neck. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. You got food, you got clothing, you got shelter, be content. That doesn't even list shelter there. But they that will be rich, what's that mean? Those that are striving to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. I don't want to drown, let alone in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There's again the hurt that you're doing to yourself. Look at verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Saying, hey, charge the rich people that they don't trust in their riches, but they need to be willing to and ready to distribute when a need is being met. Let them know because what's that doing? That's helping them stay grounded when they're on earth and not becoming high-minded and falling into the destruction that we're talking about. And it also helps with the work to continue going on. So he's saying they're not going to be destroyed if they're willing to give. And God can give through people what he he will not give to you. So these money matters are important. So what's the conclusion? Look back at Ecclesiastes. Let's read the last verses here. And then we'll give you a couple blanks and we'll be done here. Verse number 17. All his days also he eateth in darkness and he hath much sorrow and hath and wrath with his sickness. Again, it's just the, the, the ill effects of living for money. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him. For it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth. and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Saying, look, God God has given you gifts in life. Just enjoy it. But don't think that your, uh, your meaning and fulfillment will come from that. For he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. And so Solomon comes to the same conclusion that he's come to earlier in the book and he'll come to it again. Enjoy the life that God gave you. But you write this in. Enjoy the life, but do not fall into the trap of thinking that money is the answer to happiness or meaning. 
Money or any type of goods. It's not the answer. Sure, if you bought me a Tesla, would my life be a little easier? Probably. And I turn 40 next year, just to remind you, all right? That's a good round number. But, and I'm, I'm totally joking about that. I do turn 40, though. But anyway, um, but about the Tesla. I prefer Lamborghini. But um, what I want to say is, I don't know what I was going to say. I actually have no idea. But I know that that's not the purpose and meaning to life. Living for those things. Look, I would enjoy those things. You would enjoy those things. You know, if, if, uh, if someone gave you a, the brand new cell phone and you've had a flip phone for years, you know, there'd be some nice things about it. But your happiness doesn't come from there. Those are called blessings that God allows you to enjoy. But the, you have to get that satisfaction, that fulfillment in your life only from Jesus. That is the message we're hearing over and over and over again. And I hope that this is like a sledgehammer that just continually pounds upon your heart to help you realize that, man, living for God is the only way you're going to be satisfied and happy. It's the only way. Everything we have belongs to God. We are just, here's the word, stewards. We're managing the goods of somebody else. God gave it to us. Let's manage it appropriately. So tonight, as we close here, the last blank on your sheet there, how do you treat those with less than you? Those who are needy? Give me 60 seconds to just tell this story and I'll, be, and I'll pray. I'm, I think I'm three minutes over, I'm sorry. On Sunday night, I preached about Passion. Did I preach on compassion? I preached, I think that was the word compassion, sorry. I talked about helping the unlovely. Some of you may know in our neighborhood, there's a guy that walks around the property here, sometimes sleeps in our alley, and uh, he's not usually in his right mind. And I walked out, and I've talked to him before and different things, but I walked out, and... Um, <clears throat> He saw my family coming home, and he said, hey, excuse me, and you know, he's, you can tell he's just not in his right mind, and he said, do you have any water or food or anything? And I said, sure, I'll, you know, I'll grab you some food, so I started thinking, especially after I preached that message, you know, so I, I went home, and uh, we had some, uh, I had some fried chicken left over from uh, the memorial service on Saturday, so I gave him a couple pieces of chicken, a couple sandwiches, grabbed a couple bottles of water, and I was walking back over because he was close to the church here. And when I got close to him, I looked at him, and from the time I had walked to my house and back, he already had two care packages in his hand from our church. Two, uh, two from the homeless ministry that we have. So someone had gone and gotten, seen him just sitting out there, I have my suspicions who it was, but went and got uh, some care packages for him and brought him back. I was just like, Yes. That's what I'm talking about. And I came back and I said, what's your name, man? He said, Freddie. And I said, I gave him the tract and I explained uh, some things about the gospel there and I gave him some food and everything. And I said, you okay? Anything else I can do? I said, I'm the pastor here. My name's Eli. I'm the pastor of the church. Anything else I can do for you? He goes, do you, do you happen to have a smoke? <laughs> I, said, I said, hey, you're going to have to ask our deacons for one of those. I don't, I don't carry those. but I just said... No, I don't happen to have a smoke, Freddie, but, uh, you know, just, uh, I'll see you around. I see you around, and if I can answer questions or help you, let me know. 
And, uh, but I was just so happy to see that there, you know, that, that uh, I think those are things that God smiles at. It's when we're doing our part to help the poor. So how do we treat people with less than us? How do we treat those that are needy? Well, I don't have much. Why don't they work? Well, maybe God's putting you in their path to help them. What is your view of money? Are you being a good steward of it? And maybe just some of the thoughts that we're given tonight should just help us to kind of refocus and say, you know what? God has gifted me with some finances. I need to make sure that I'm appropriately using them for his work and, and not relying upon them for my happiness. Just some thoughts here from the wisest man on earth who happened to also be the richest man to ever live. Father, I pray that you'd help us to have the right view when it comes to money. Money does matter. We, we understand that. We understand that we need it, currency in our, in our day and age.